Listening to Gore Report, a true crime podcast. <laughs> yes, a little, a little bit, a little bit of nostalgia. Yeah, just a, had to sprinkle it in there like Salt Bay. <laughs> so, if this is your first time listening, then welcome, 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 welcome. And if you are a returning listener, then double, triple, quadruple, welcome, uh, welcome, 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 welcome. <laughs> Octuplet, welcome. Septuplet, welcome. <laughs> Yes. We got to get a grip on our shit, bitch. We are too awkward for our own good. We are absolutely too awkward for our own good. But I don't want my shit to get together because I'm quite <laughs> enjoying the chaos that has come <laughs> from being the type of weirdo that I am. You said, get my shit together. I will not. I will not. How <laughs> dare you? Excuse me, sir. We also wish you guys a good day and a good week. And a good, good <laughs> Every single week is it's just more and more and I'm always gonna be here for it. I just it's it's too much. And any of the newcomers listening to this right now are going, What the fuck did I just turn on? I know they probably think we're complete <laughs> dumbasses, which we are. But you know. Oh, man. So one note I would like to make, you guys. I know you saw the update on Instagram and Facebook yesterday, but our recording schedule did get slightly delayed by a day this week because yep. we just had a lot going on. You know, Ray is still moving and and sorting all of that out in her new place. So it was just a really busy week. We lost a day, but we refused to go a whole week and not give you an episode. So thank you for being patient, hopefully. The delivery being a couple of hours late won't won't upset you too much. Yeah, hopefully not too much. But I'm telling you, life has been crazy. Um, we still are struggling to get water to the house because I told you <laughs> we're doing renovations on it. So you said I've been homesteading. <laughs> man, we have been homesteading. I'm telling you, this is like the pioneer type shit because you know we finally yesterday got a toilet and have been able to use an actual toilet instead of a porta potty. It's been nice. I'm telling you, we have been going it has through been it. Pristine. <laughs> but you know, the house is starting to really come together, even though it needs like a couple of buckets of paint. I am very content with my new space and our Soon to be new pod lab is going to be amazing. Yes, that is in the works. We're going to have like a little studio area somewhat set up in Ray's new room. And I'm really excited for that. Your bedroom is a lot bigger than mine. It, so it, like it's it's, it's going to work bigger. out beautifully for but sure. The funny thing is, is like, you know, we are bedroom podcasters. So to have the pod lab in my bedroom just makes sense. Right, right. We are 100 <laughs> percent. Bedroom podcasters, there's no denying that. So today's case isn't going to be a very long one due to the fact that this happened so long ago and you know how record keeping can be. Right, right. So, um, yeah, it's not going to be all that long, but I can assure you it is the most 
craziest thing that I have ever heard of in my life. Today's case was actually requested by Ellie. Hello, Ellie. Hello. And she's been a longtime listener of the show. So uh, she sent us an email asking that we cover this case. And this story doesn't sound real, but I guarantee that it is 100% real. Oof. It's very real. <laughs> <laughs> you said unfortunately. Unfortunately. Very real. Very real. <laughs> but um, today we're going to be talking about Leonardo Cianciulli. Ooh. If you're not familiar with the story, she was the first known Italian serial killer, and she's infamous for what she did with the bodies of those she killed. This story is honestly, personally, I think it's terribly sad and just goes to show you the lengths a mother will go to if she feels or believes her child is in danger. Oh, shit. It's going to be one of those. It is. And it's not in the way that you would think. So, relax. Grab your snacks. Yeah, you know, you might not need something for anxiety right now. I, th- I think it'll be okay. <laughs> I think it'll be okay. Until we get to later in the episode, then you might really need a pillow. Leonardo Cianciulli was born on April 18th. 1894 to parents Amelia and Mariano in Montella, Italy. Now, her birth was not a happy occasion, but I'm going to quickly explain why. Damn, just out the gate sad. Yeah. (laughs) I don't even know what happened. I'm just like, oh my God. Can we go back to before the interlude? (laughs) I don't want to be here right now. So, Amelia was a young woman growing up in a time in Italy that was extremely conservative and heavily rooted in Catholic beliefs. Basically, you get married while you're young, you have babies, you be the little woman, and then you die, right? Jesus fucking Christ. Yeah. So, that was that was the routine for women back then. But Amelia was actually raped by Mariano. So, when she became pregnant as a result... She was then forced to marry her rapist. Yeah. So having a baby out of wedlock would destroy you and your reputation, as well as bring shame on your family. Like the judgment that would take place on you was not something you wanted at all. As we all know, people can be like severely cruel. Yeah, humans are scary. So imagine... Imagine you've got a whole town, like you were raped, you're pregnant. The whole town would know that this baby is out of wedlock. You would be judged so harshly if that were to be the case. My goodness. Again, humans are just so scary. This is sad. Like so sad. I could not imagine. Her family forced her to marry Mariano. And from what I understand, like, these occurrences were quite common back then. And it's extremely fucked up. But coupled with the disbelief in divorce, she not only had to marry her rapist, have his baby with him, and can't divorce him. Like, she's just stuck. Yeah. My God. So, Amelia, as you can imagine, 
She did not want anything to do with Leonardo. She was not a loving mother. She didn't show her any affection or attention, nothing. Like, she despised her daughter. But for her, Leonardo was just a reminder of the trauma of her rape and the fact that she had to marry her rapist and spend every day with him. That it's what the fuck? Yeah, no, this it's especially sad. And I'll I'll keep the tangent really short. But, you know, Leonardo, she's a child and, you know, no child asks to be brought into the world. So that's sad in itself. Every child deserves the love and the affection and the care of their parents. But looking at the situation Amelia is in. I can't really say that I blame her. Like, I mean, we can all understand and sympathize like with what Amelia is going through. I mean, yeah, it's you. You were not kidding. This is awful. Just mm. from the start. This is. And poor Leonardo, like she was brought into this world under extremely horrific circumstances. And now she's basically having to pay for something she had no control over or had no part in like. The whole situation is just sad for both of them. Right. So with Leonardo being neglected the way she was, she was starved for any type of attention or affection. And sadly, that never changed. Growing up, the relationship between, you know, her mom and her, like, it was just not a factor. In fact... From what I understood, her mother was quite cruel towards her as well, which would result in Leonardo, like, attempting suicide twice. Oh, my God. I found no record of what her relationship was like with her father or if he was ever really in the picture. He just kind of goes unmentioned from this point, other than being a fucking rapist, you know? Right, right. Um, Taking into consideration Amelia's rape, I'm 100% sure he's not a stand-up guy that's going to do the right thing where a child is concerned, you know? Yeah, I wouldn't think so. Yeah, so not much more is known about Leonardo's childhood. They lived in poverty, they didn't have much money, and their financial situation didn't change even after Amelia remarried. Because at some point in time, I guess either Mariano went missing or left or whatever, but Amelia did end up remarrying. Gotcha, gotcha. And Hopefully to someone she actually wanted to marry, like, my goodness. Yeah, but, you know, their financial situation, it didn't change. They were still struggling for money. So now that Leonardo was a teenager... Amelia made plans for Leonardo to marry a wealthy man that would in turn help take care of, you know, her and the family. Right. And she's not thinking of Leonardo being happily married or none of that. Like, she's trying to fix their financial issue at this point. Right. Well, Leonardo, you know, she was really, really young. And then, of course, when you're going through puberty and all these other things and you don't have a supportive mother... To walk you through this stuff, you know, Leonardo just kind of got swept up, feeling like she's in love with this guy, um, Raffaele. She was 23 years old when she married this older man named Raffaele Pensardi in 1914. And he was a registry office clerk. And this 
pissed her parents off so bad because they were arranging her marriage to another man that they had in mind for her. So, like, fuck, you didn't want this child, and yes, the circumstances were fucked up, but you neglected her and was cruel to her, and now you want to use her to barter your way into financial freedom. It's like you're taking that freedom away from her that you didn't have. Right. And it's sad. Like, you know, that's just the perspective that I see. It's like you've been through that. Why would you want to take, you know, basically do the same thing to your child? Because... She didn't bond with Leonardo at all. And, you know, I guess she was just basically thinking of the financial issues. And she's like, well, you know, I have a daughter that I can marry off. And if she gets married, then his, you know, this wealthy man, he has to take care of his wife's family. You know, right, that's, right. that's basically the thought process behind it. And it's honestly disgusting. Yeah, it's it's it's, it's not good. It's really sad. So get this. Her mother was so furious with Leonardo for this that she cursed her for her betrayal and disobedience. From what I understand, Italians in that time frame were very superstitious and they heavily believed in curses. If you were unlucky enough to become cursed, the rest of your life would unfold layers of misery. So wow. this curse is seen as the catalyst that forever changed Leonardo's life. And as we get through the story, you'll begin to understand why she felt she was cursed and what she was willing to do to protect the ones she loved. So Leonardo goes to a fortune teller, perhaps to, you know, dispel this belief in this curse. But she does not get good news. She was told that she would marry and have many children, but every single one of them would die young. Oh my god. Could you imagine going to a reader and they give you terrible news like this? I'd be Fuck screaming. No. I'd be screaming, take it back. Say you ain't mean it. Take it back. The worst fucking fortune cookie ever had in I'm my life. <laughs> In my fucking life. Quickly, put it back in the packaging. Quickly. Yeah, like, put it back, put it back, put it back. <laughs> Jesus. That oh, is fucking man. insane. So, as you can imagine, you know, Leonardo is just beside herself with anxiety and sadness. You know, this is why I got this reading is because I'm cursed. So, four years after marrying Raffaele in 1921... Both of them moved from Montella to Lariano in Alta Urpinia, Italy. And apparently, this is where Raffaele grew up. So, first, that's sweet. They packed up and left Leonardo's painful life with her mother behind. And they wanted to start their own family and be happy, like, despite all these negatives that was going on. Right. So they're doing very well for themselves. They both found work and life was just beautiful for a time. But in 1927, Leonardo was arrested and imprisoned for fraud. Gotcha. There is no further details on that particular crime. But let's be real, like record keeping wasn't, it wasn't great back then. You know? Right, right. But when she got out, her and Raffaele moved to La Cedonia in Avellino. 
So July 23rd, 1930, there was a massive earthquake that was called the Urpina Earthquake. Oh, and it shit. had a magnitude of 6.6. Oh. It caused 1,404 deaths and amassed 4,000 to 7,000 injuries. Oh, my God. 6.6? That is fucking strong. Right. Like, that is really, really, really strong. So, Leonardo and Raffaele, they survived, but their home was completely destroyed. My goodness. So, they picked up and moved to Correggio. Now, while they're in Correggio, Leonardo began to really flourish. She opened a small shop that sold a variety of goods like herbs, soaps, teas, and even her own readings of sight. So she's getting buddy-buddy with her customers, and I guess it comes up in conversation that she, like, has these powers of foresight. Interesting. And she became extremely popular. She was seen as a very gentle woman and just an all-around nice neighbor to have. And she was highly respected and held with very high regard. Women from all over Correggio would come to Leonardo for answers and seek help to manifest their every desire. Wow. Like, that's how big it had gotten. So I don't know if, like, while she spent time in prison for the fraud, if she, like, you know, was studying to understand the occult practices and things like that. Right. Or, or maybe she had an awakening. Maybe she was really seeing things for these people. But... No one knows. All we know is is she's telling people, hey, I have this power. I can, you know, I'm a seer. I'm a fortune teller. Da-da-da. So even though things were going well for Leonardo in her shop, she was going through her own painful and traumatic battle. After being together for 16 years with Raffaele, her marriage completely fell apart. And Raffaele went to jail. He was drunk all the time, and he got caught for embezzling money from his job. So she's, like, by herself now. Wow, holy shit. But throughout her marriage, she had gotten pregnant 17 times. Woo. We. But only four children survived. Out of 17? Out of 17. Oh, man. So only four of them survived past the age of 10. She lost three children by miscarriage, and 10 of those children died very young from various diseases or complications. Goodness, that is so, so sad. Oh my God. So as you can imagine, she truly believes that her mother's curse is doing this to her. And I don't blame her. And that's what that fortune teller said, too. She was like, you know, all your your children are going to die young. Like, my God, what a mind fuck. So she just goes above and beyond, like being a loving mother who dotes on her children and shows them plenty of affection. You know, she was trying to break that generational curse. Give her Um, children what she didn't have. Right. She loved her children so much, and she was fiercely overprotective of them. So Leonardo goes to a Romany this time to get her fortune read. And again, she does not get good news at all. The fortune teller looks at the lines on her palm and tells her, In your right hand, I see prison. 
in your left a criminal asylum. What? Yeah, like, excuse me? How do you even process news like that? Like, what do you even say in response to that? Thank you. Here's your money. I honestly, that's that's insane. You know? That's very intense. Right. I wouldn't know how to react to that. I mean, I would be shocked. First of all, I'd be trying to figure out how my hand is telling me that I'm going to an asylum. Right. That would be my first question. I would be like, what do you mean by that? <laughs> what do you mean exactly by that? There will be no palm prisoning for me. <laughs> Not for me. <laughs> that would that would just that would be my question, you know? Like that is just so left field for me. And it's so oddly specific too. Incredibly specific. That's why I would be like, well, you know, again, what do you mean? When I look at my hand, I don't see prison at all. <laughs> oh my god, I can't get over that. <laughs> but um but Leonardo being a very superstitious woman, she took these warnings seriously. And usually we get a reading today and it's like, you know, take whatever resonates and just know the future is forever changing. Which, you know, you know right, right. I mean, I mean, that's the truth. But, you know, people say that so often. I, I just got to pick at it a little bit. <laughs> right, right. But, you know, for Leonardo, this is something deeper. Like, the traditions and beliefs of the Italian people are still very much to this day very important and they take these things very very seriously so this wasn't anything that was just going to be forgotten about and laughed off like no this was very real for leonardo right so after suffering the deaths of so many children she made sure that she fiercely loved all four of the surviving ones but she couldn't help but have a huge soft spot that she had for her eldest son, Giuseppe. And he was definitely, like, the favorite child, you know? Right, right. Uh, probably got away with stuff a little bit more than the other kids. Probably got a little more sweets than the other, you know. Right. But um, now in 1939, during that time, things were ramping up for World War II. Right, Right, so, holy shit. This was during the rise of the dictator Mussolini, and people were starving. Like, certain items like soap were really hard to get, and the economy in Correggio was just awful. People were leaving left and right for better opportunities, and most importantly, food. Right, goodness gracious. So, keep this in mind as we go forward through this, because, like, this is wartime that we're going through. Um, Giuseppe tells Leonardo that he was going to join the Italian army. Oh, shit. So, as you can imagine, she was absolutely devastated. Just believing that she would never see her son again. There is nothing she wouldn't do to keep him out of harm's way. And she believed she knew just the thing to do. So Leonardo came to the conclusion that his safety required human sacrifices. <laughs> yeah. My asshole. <laughs> Leonardo. You did not even do the process of elimination, bitch. You straight up went from uh, d d human sacrifice? <laughs> Where in the fuck did that come from? 
Who hurt you, baby? Who hurt? Girl, you are pole jumping conclusions. <laughs> that was just so out of left field for me. I'm so sorry. You're sitting here and you're like, you know, yeah, her son's going to go to war. She loves her children. She, you know, we're going to keep them safe. <laughs> and, and this is wartime and we're going to do what we can. And then just, oh, yeah. So she was like, ah, human fucking <laughs> sacrifice. That is the key. Like, I'm I'm sorry. I'll, I'll shut up That's now. The but like, key, man. that just blew my mind. How just out of nowhere that that came. Like out of nowhere. Holy shit! <laughs> All right. All right. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, the sacrifice of a life to prolong a life, to be exact. That that's. That was the thought behind it. Because, you know, she she was reading up on the occult and things like that. I'm pretty sure she came across some sort of alchemical book. Alchemical? Is that a word? I mean, you know, alchemy book or something like that. Right. You know, basically, <laughs> you're sacrificing a life form to prolong a life form. That's That's the gist behind it. Or as they say in Full Metal Alchemist, the law of equivalent exchange. <laughs> right. If you know, you know. We're on that nerdy shit. Keep going. <laughs> so she found her victims in three middle-aged women who were apparently all neighbors. All three of these women visited her for help. They were either friends of hers seeking advice or it was friends of a friend type situation. Whatever the case, she began to plan their deaths. Jesus fucking Christ. So when 50-year-old Faustina Setti, Leonardo's friend, sought out Leonardo's help to find a husband, it did not end well for Faustina. She was a lifelong spinster and she was really lonely, so she hoped that Leonardo would match her up with someone. And not long after, Leonardo tells her that she found her a suitable partner in Pola. Pola is um, modern-day Croatia, by the way. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, but she's basically telling her, you know, he lives in another city and you'd have to move, but he's a great guy and he has money. But she convinces her not to tell anyone about it. Oh, shit, my stomach. Oh, also, Leonardo's fee for this was 30,000 lira. That sounds Faustina, like a lot of money. Yeah, Faustina spent her entire life savings for Leonardo's help. That's, oh my god. That's how highly reserved Leonardo was. Like everyone would come to her with with their issues basically paying with their top troubles. dollar basically. Yeah, but you know, getting readings from her and stuff and taking her advice and you know, Leonardo just turned into this go-to woman. But I'll I'll get to all of that soon, but um Goodness, my yeah, stomach spent, is just in a knot right now. <laughs> she spent her entire life savings. So excited that she would finally have a husband, Faustina began to write letters to this mysterious man, and she was even receiving letters back. So basically, Leonardo was the go-between, the fake go-between. Um, Faustina believes that she is writing letters to this man. She gives it to Leonardo and Leonardo will send it out to, to the guy. You know, it wasn't thought of at that point because everybody trusted Leonardo. So it wasn't thought of at that point of like, oh, well, I should just send him directly letters. 
you know? Right. They it, just trusted her for right, that. Right. They trusted her. So she's writing letters to this this new guy, and she's getting letters back through Leonardo. Mm-hmm. But um, Leonardo was the one writing the letters. I knew it. No surprise there, right? So further, this is so fucked up. Yeah, like my heart just hurts so bad. Like this poor woman, she's like thinking she's about to have the love of her life. She's like spent her whole life's amount of savings. Oh my god, this is awful. This is so awful. Leonardo further convinced Faustina to write letters to her relatives and friends. To tell them she moved to Pola and that everything was fine. She's writing these letters before leaving and trusting Leonardo to send the letters once she left. She's covering up the crime before it happens. Yes. Like before it even happens. That is just holy yeah. shit. Again, Leonardo, bitch, process of elimination. Like I am so shocked that she just... I don't know. <laughs> right? I, I honestly mean, don't know. But, you know, they were friends. So, I, you know, I guess that didn't seem weird to Faustina at all, you know. Right. She's not going to suspect that her friend or this well-known fortune teller slash spiritual advisor, whatever we want to call her. The last thought in her mind is that she's going to be betrayed by Leonardo. Right. That's not even in the realm of possibility for her. And that's sad. It really is. It uh, really is. God, it could be fucking anybody. It could I'm be anybody. You, every single time we go through this, every week, we sit and go, it could be anybody. Literally anybody. So on the day she was supposed to leave for Pola, Faustina came to visit Leonardo one last time to celebrate her new man and moving to a new place. She even dyed her hair dark so she wouldn't have gray hairs. Oh yeah, like this poor woman. She was, was just so ready excited. to go. She was so excited. She was never heard from again. Oh fuck. But her family's mind was at ease from the letters they received that she was living a, a beautiful new life with her new husband. Oh my god. And no one could understand why she didn't tell them herself. That she was getting married and moving away or even to say goodbye. Like, she was just gone. The letters were, after all, written in her own hand, so no one thought anything of it. My goodness. So keep in mind, by this time, Leonardo was known in her community, like, for being the go-to kind of woman. She was not only telling fortunes, but she had a knack for solving people's problems, like I told you earlier. If you needed a job, Leonardo knew just the right people to get you a job. And she was also playing matchmaker as well. So this is like, you know, this is her big moment where literally everyone is coming to her like she's the grandma to everybody. She's like a local celebrity, basically. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess it's safe to say you could you could say local celebrity. Yeah. And she had helped a couple of people. You know, she had matchmade a couple people up and it had successfully worked out. So, you know, nobody ever thought to question Leonardo. Yeah, she had a little bit of credibility, right. so to say. 
So another woman who visited Leonardo's shop was a 55-year-old widow named Francesca Suave. And if you're wondering why I haven't gone into any details really about what happened to Faustina. I trust you're going to put the puzzle pieces together. We're going to get there. We're going to get there. Don't worry. But um, so this other woman, 55-year-old widow named Francesca Suave, she came to Leonardo in hopes of finding a new job and she was a school teacher who was, you know, just rather lonely from living in the small town of Correggio. Like, the war was really damaging to Francesca's financial situation. Like, her job wasn't going so great. And she just wanted more out of life, you know. She wanted to get out of this situation. 30,000 lira later. Oh, my God. And uh, So much money. Yeah. And Leonardo eventually tells her that she got her the perfect job as a headmistress of an all-girls boarding school in Piacenza. Uh, That's in North Italy. Again, she has her write letters to friends and family and swear not to tell a single soul or else someone might swoop in and get the position. Like, you have to leave, like, right away. Goodness gracious. So, um, like, that's not weird. Like, you got me the job. I'm sure there's a process, but I have to leave, like, right now? Like, right now? And I can't, like, tell anyone about it? Like, (laughs) that's a little, fuck, it's a little weird. So, you know, she, again, had her write letters, you know, just explaining to her family what was going on. Again, covering that shit up? And and creating an alibi and, and just, but you know, before the crime even takes place. So get this. She convinces Francesca to leave her furniture and stuff behind. And she would sell it off for her and send her the money. What the fuck? Yeah. On September 5th, 1940 is when Francesca was due to leave. But she stops by Leonardo's shop to say goodbye and thank you, you know. But again... No one hears from her either. After that. Yeah. So Francesca's family noticed that she's gone and they went to Leonardo's house and talked to her about Francesca's whereabouts. So Leonardo tells them that she got this new job as a headmistress and that she was probably just very busy. And that's why they didn't hear from her. You know, it is a new position. She probably has a lot to do to acclimate to her new living situation. Right. So she's basically sitting there telling them that everything was fine. And she even gave them some homemade soap to make them feel better. And, you know, sent them about their way. You know, here's here's some cakes. Here's some soap. You know. Let's... Oh, God. Yeah. So. Um... <sighs> shit, shit, shit. Yeah. There were several reports that were made by local neighbors that said there was a strange smell coming from the floor inside Leonardo's shop. Dun, dun, dun. Dun. Everyone was really dismissive of it, though, because, you know, the smell would kind of come and go. And everyone's thinking that there's no way this gentle and kind old lady would ever kill or hurt anyone. It must be from something else, you know, black mold or something. But even with smelly floorboards, that didn't deter Virginia Cacioppo from visiting to seek out Leonardo's help. Now, Virginia was also in search of another job. 
the war completely ravaged a lot of people's businesses and Virginia was definitely feeling the strain because she was once a soprano opera singer that used to sing at the famous opera house La Scala. Ooh. Yeah, so she fell into poverty and was desperate to find new work with better pay. Leonardo demanded 50,000 lira this time and some precious gems. My goodness. So Virginia actually agreed and gave literally everything she had. This is so fucking sad. Like these people just giving away everything. 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 My goodness. Leonardo seemed to work her magic finding a job as a secretary for an impresario. Now, an impresario is basically like a sponsor or owner of concerts and events for opera shows. Mm-hmm. And she'd be working to help finance and organize these shows. Just like the other two women, she was told not to tell a single person where she was going. Virginia, again, agreed. Now, Virginia didn't quite follow Leonardo's rule of not telling anyone. She was too excited and told a couple of her friends about how Leonardo was helping her. And on September 30th, 1940, she came for one last visit with Leonardo to say thank you and goodbye. Oh, shit. This pattern to the murder was exactly the same as the first two. Letters and all. By this time, people started noticing that older women were disappearing after leaving Leonardo's shop. The families of these three women started to notice that even though they had heard from their loved one when they were leaving, they would never hear anything after that. Like, at all? At all. They could not get in touch with their loved ones. So this was not only concerning, but also suspicious. So eyebrows are being raised in question, and people are really starting to wonder, like, what's going on? Yeah, like, what aren't you telling us, Leonardo? Well, Virginia's family was incredibly skeptical about this new job, and the last time anyone saw Virginia was when she was visiting Leonardo's shop. The actual eyewitness's name is unknown, so they go to the authorities right away and told them what's going on, like... Hey, dude, her family can't get a hold of her. And the last time she was seen was standing on Leonardo's doorstep. Fuck, man. This is sad. I hate this. Oh, no. I hate this. So the superintendent of police began his investigation And he found that Leonardo's ability to match people up with husbands or find these incredible jobs to be very suspicious. Right, right. He soon found evidence that the three women were actually murdered because Leonardo was selling off the women's clothing and shoes. Holy shit. She was selling their clothes and stuff? Yeah. My God. So when they find out about this, they they go down to visit her, and she was very charming. She was very hospitable. She offered them a seat, you know, sit down, let's talk. And as they're questioning her, she's talked about her ex-husband a lot. She talked about Giuseppe a lot. You know, she even offered to give them soap. 
Oh, no. And, you know, originally, the superintendent didn't believe that Leonardo had anything to do with this. They suspected that it was her son, Giuseppe. Right, and maybe Leonardo was, like, unknowingly selling these women's clothes and shit. Like, maybe not knowing that it was theirs. Right. Oh, I almost forgot one fact, too. Uh, Leonardo told the police that the women that she helped... When they left, they left behind a bunch of clothing, and they wanted her to sell it off and then send the send the proceeds. Gotcha. So that's why she was selling the clothes and the shoes. She already had an answer for that. Yeah. Gotcha. I gotcha. forgot. I actually forgot to write that down in my notes. Don't at me. Okay. <laughs> okay. So, yeah, they, they think it's her son. And... He was like, well, you know, as a formality, we still need you to come down to the station so we can ask you some questions. Right, And she's right. like, you know, no problem, no problem. So she goes down there to the station, and they start asking her questions. And again, she's just, you know, being sweet, being charming. But then when she finds out that they're also questioning Giuseppe, she, like, freaks out. Let me say, she freaks out but does not break her calm manner. Like, she is just... Like, internally freaking she's out. She's internally freaking out, like, they're going after my child. I, I, you know, I did it. Oh, so she confesses after that, she after confessed. finding out. Yeah, because she literally... She didn't want her child to be charged with that, which, I mean, I guess that little small piece is honorable. You know, yeah. but still, it's like, holy shit, that's what got her to talk. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, is she fully believed that her mother's curse was 100% real and that Giuseppe leaving for war was the setup for another great loss. So she believed by sacrificing these women, it was justified. It would satisfy her mother's curse. And instead of claiming the life of her son... Or any of her other children, I guess. The life would already be claimed for the curse by killing these women. Goodness. You know, so... Fucking gracious. When Faustina came to visit that night on December 17th, 1939, she only stopped by Leonardo's place to say thank you and goodbye, right? Right. But Leonardo insisted, you know, stay for a moment. Let's have a drink to celebrate. So Leonardo offers her a glass of wine. Faustina drank the wine and then fell unconscious. Holy shit, Leonardo drugged her. She drugged her, and that's when Leonardo then took an axe and began chopping. Yeah, she she murdered her with an axe while she was unconscious. <sighs> and then she dragged Faustina's body into a closet. And she needed a bone saw, so she had to go out and actually get a bone saw. What the fuck? What the mm-hmm. fuck? And um, so she cuts off Faustina's legs from the knee down and, like, drains her blood into a basin. She then continues to dismember the body into nine pieces while she allows the blood to set in this basin to coagulate. And what I'm going to read now is the official statement from Leonardo herself that was written in her memoirs called An Embittered Soul's Confession. Oh, fuck. And this is a 700-page confession 
that Leonardo wrote while imprisoned. And this part covered Faustina's death. And it reads, quote, I threw the pieces into a pot, added seven kilos of caustic soda, which I had bought to make soap, and stirred the whole mixture until the pieces dissolved in a thick, dark mush that I poured into several buckets and emptied into a nearby septic tank. As for the blood in the basin, I waited until it had coagulated, dried it in the oven, ground it, and mixed it with flour, sugar, chocolate, milk, and eggs, as well as a bit of margarine. Kneading all the ingredients together, I made lots of crunchy tea cakes and served them to the ladies who came to visit, though Giuseppe and I also ate them. End quote. <sighs> so basically, she has this coagulated blood in this basin, and she is taking the goopy parts and spreading them over, I guess, like, whatever their baking sheet would be at the time. Oh, my God, that is, it's... You know, <sighs> sticks it in the oven, cooks it until it's dried, took it down into a powder, and then used that powder in her ingredients to make these tea cakes. That she was just feeding to people. Yes. Jesus. Jesus. But but it had to be fed to Giuseppe. It had to be fed to him. Because she firmly believed that by... Him doing this, it would yeah. protect him or take away the effects yeah. of the curse or... Yes. Good God. Good God. So Francesca was given the same awful treatment, and she too was turned into cakes and soap, which was sold in Leonardo's shop and given out as complimentary soaps to the locals and to her friends. Jesus. Yeah. And this is what she had to say about Virginia. And it's, um, it's pretty sickening. Quote, she ended up in the pot like the other two. Her flesh was fat and white. When it had melted, I added a bottle of cologne. And after a long time on the boil, I was able to make some most acceptable creamy soap. I gave bars to neighbors and acquaintances. The cakes, too, were better. That woman was really sweet. End quote. Jesus, Leonardo. Holy shit. So we went from like, you know, kind of having an okay flourishing life to straight on full human sacrifice mode. Like, like axe murdering people. Zero and to a hundred. Really fucking quick. That's what shocks me. And also, you know, I, I know of Leonardo Chanjuli. I've definitely heard the name. I know she's referred to as the soap maker of Carigio. Mm -hmm. um, so I knew that. She was known for turning her victims into soap. I knew that, but I honestly did not know like any details about the murders. Mm -hmm. I did not know they were this brutal. Like this yeah. is fucking insane. Yeah. Like she's just hacking these women to death and then uh, feeding them to everyone and selling cannibal dove. Cannibal dove. <laughs> that is so <laughs> awful. That is so awful. No. It is so bad. Like, this really is so fucked up. Cannibal care. Cannibal care, I'm telling you anything. Oh, my God, that's so bad. 
So head, these... shoulders, cakes, and soap. Head, shoulders, cakes, and soap. Cakes and soap. No, 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 no. <laughs> we are going to stop right the fuck now. <laughs> so these excerpts came from that 700-page confession that was written while Leonardo was spending time in prison. She even gave a detailed account on how to turn parts of human remains into soap. Jesus. Keep in mind that she sat in prison for six years during World War II. So she spent six years awaiting her trial because of World War II. My goodness. People were standing outside the courthouse for hours just for the chance to try to get a seat because no one believed that she did it. No one believed that she did it. Despite her giving all the details of the crimes, no one could fathom that this old woman could kill three people without any help. And a lot of people believed Giuseppe was definitely an accomplice. But there's no evidence to support that, so I couldn't find anything on it. There's not even a mention of what even became of her children. Like I said, this story is missing a lot of information. But one thing I did find out that is chilling to the freaking bone to prove that she was the one who did it. Leonardo was taken to the morgue to show the authorities that she could indeed dismember a body. Holy shit. They made her like mm-hmm. do a trial run, basically. Yeah. Holy shit. They said, you're going to come down here to the morgue and you're going to do a demonstration. If you truly did this, then show us how. Holy fucking shit. Uh I have never heard some shit like that in my life. It's said that she dismembered the body not only identically to the victims, but she also dismembered this body into nine pieces in less than 12 minutes. Yeah. Which not only horrified, but also convinced the authorities that, yeah, she was indeed the killer. Jesus. That she is fucking insane. She dismembered a human body into nine pieces in less than 12 minutes. By herself. By herself. Fucking Christ. I My jaw on the floor. Right? Like on the floor. So Leonardo was found guilty and sentenced to 30 years in prison. And three years in a criminal asylum. <gasps> Light bulb. Uh, no fucking way. Uh-huh. No way. You remember what the Roman yes, said? Yes, no way. Bitch, chills. <laughs> chills. That is fucking insane. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, I, I don't even know what to say. So with that, with that, my hair is literally standing up like, holy fucking shit. That's what that meant. Prison in one hand and criminal asylum in the other. Holy shit. Holy shit. Here, here is a big thoughtful moment. Okay. I'm going to tell you the last little bit here, and then we're going to have a moment of discussion. Leonardo Cianciulli was named the soap maker of Correggio. She died in 1970 of cerebral apoplexy while in a women's criminal asylum. The items she used during the murders can be found in the Criminal Logical Museum in Rome, where it can still be seen to this day. What? The kettle that she used, her knife, 
Everything that she used. Her axe? Yeah. Oh, all the stuff that she used to do this, you can find it in Rome. Holy moly. Road trip, road trip, road trip, road trip. (laughs) I was so excited to get that out. But what I said, when I said we're going to have a discussion, here's the thing. Did all of these things that happened throughout her life, was it all just mere coincidence and happenstance? Or was mommy's curse real? I honestly have no idea how to even answer that. I don't know. And then to have I don't the know. fortune tellers. That is the that's fucking crazy. But like here's the thing though, there's a little bit of gray area because uh we talked about this when I covered uh Christopher Case mm-hmm. and that whole uh you know, that whole story, that whole thing. And we very much talked about, you know, I do believe in curses. Like, I believe that magic can be inflicted upon someone. Mm -hmm. I believe that is a real thing. I mean, I've just had my own experiences, seen some crazy shit. You know, we've talked about it very, very, very briefly. Yeah. But I believe this is a kind of thing that can happen. So I'm not completely off put by the idea that there may have been a curse or, you know, with the whole fortune teller, I also believe that there are people that are gifted that can genuinely see the future um, or see, you know, glimpses of it. Yes, the future is ever changing. But I'm basically, long story short, I believe in all of this. Right. So there's one side of it where it's like, that's really fucking specific. I could see it being true. I don't know. But then there's this other layer where you have your little healthy dose of skepticism. I also believe in manifestation. Was Leonardo so convinced that she was cursed? That she was. Yeah. So, you know, you get what I'm saying. I'm really torn. I'm torn between the two of them because the shit's crazy, crazy specific. And if this is just a coincidence, which I mean, I don't really believe in those. But if this is a coincidence, then holy fucking shit. Right. Like, holy fucking shit. I don't know, man. I don't really have. I I don't have a clear answer on that. I mean, you know, I also believe in curses and stuff and you know magic is definitely real for me right absolutely um you know just the thought of that the mother had such powerful emotions behind cursing her daughter that it literally affected leonardo's life for the rest of her life Like, her life was revolving around that one singular event. And how to escape it, basically. Right. And it's like, even she could have literally just spent her time in Correggio, tried to work out her marriage, you know, love on her children, support her son as he's going to war. But, like, everything that she had been through in her life and the way she was treated by her mother and everything else. Right. And then also having that strong belief in superstitious and and occult things. I truly believe that Leonardo was just doing what she thought would literally protect her child. Like, she really believed that this was going to protect her child. Right. And, you know, she has to be dealing with some mega trauma and PTSD from losing that many children. Plus the events of her own upbringing, you know, her own struggles with her own mother. I mean, it's complicated. 
I honestly don't know what to make of this. This story went in a direction that I was not looking ready for. I'm telling you. It went in a like it went in a totally different so, vibe. So have you heard of her? <laughs> you know, but it's just like <laughs> Oh, you just now got it. Hi. That was delayed as hell. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Goodness gracious, bitch. I'm done. But what what really got to me was when um she was talking about Virginia and she was saying that like literally this woman was sweeter than the other two women and that her body like the fat in her body like just had this creamy substance to it, uh, you know, and, and uh, that's how she was able to make the soap out of it. It's just uh, the part that really freaks me out, and I keep thinking about it, is that she was making soap out of humans and just giving them out to people. And because of the war, it was so hard to get a hold of soap. People were taking that, eating that I shit mean, up, right? I mean, if... if if you were in wartime and you couldn't find a bar of soap, would you complain when you found soap? Definitely not. Right. You wouldn't even ask, right? So nobody ever asked what the soap was made of. No. They were just like, here, take my money. I need soap for a shower, you know? Oh, my God. And it just, it blows my mind. And that concludes the story of Leonardo Chanchuli. My God. It's it's terrible. Like, it's terrible. my goodness, you did the damn thing. The damn thing was done. The damn thing was done. Uh, but it's just like I said, we've already had our conversation about our thoughts on this. There's no need to have another tangent. But um, it's just that same point that I said. I didn't know a lot about this. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew... Leonardo was called the soap baker of Correggio or Correggio, however you say it. Um, and I knew what she did that made her infamous, you know, mm-hmm. turning her victims into soap. But I had no idea just how brutal and like ridiculous these crimes were. Like, yeah. it's just I'm blown. I honestly don't even know what to say other than I'm blown. I'm feeling a little weird about soap right now. I'm feeling a little weird. A little weird. I'm just feeling a little weird. There's like an uneasiness. That's coming with soap right now. Well, the here's an interesting fact for you. I don't know if you guys are down for like a quick little knowledge lesson, but um, have you ever seen like Tales of the Crypt when there was this one episode where the guy basically got turned into soap? There's that, and then you have Fight Club. Those things were actually inspired from Leonardo Chanchuli's story. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit, I did like, not know that. I remember back in the day when Tales from the Crypt used to be like this really big uh, TV series. Everybody really watched it. And it was I just, love Tales it from the amazing. Crypt. I love but it. There was a specific episode that I remember, and I can't remember the name of it, but I specifically remember an episode where this guy was basically murdered by being thrown into a vat that makes soap. So his body was like made into the soap. Yeah. It's inspired from yeah, this. Yeah. So her her story in particular has inspired different works of art as far as the possibility of turning a human being into soap. But the only last thing that I'm going to say about this is that through my research, I did notice some discrepancies as far as names go. 
and even birth dates as well, if I remember correctly. So if you're wanting to look some of this stuff up on your own, I will include a couple of articles in the show notes so you can check it out. Yes, yes. Check it out for sure. And uh, yeah, I think it's about time that we can just wrap this whole shebang up and yeah. get off of here and... I'm going to go dispose of all of my soap. (laughs) Throwing it all out. Throwing it all out. If you would like to follow me and Ray and all of our... Well, great news. You can totally do that. Find us on Facebook at... Gore Report, a true crime podcast. On Instagram. At Gore Report Podcast. And Twitter... Aunt Gore Report. Yay! Oh, he didn't sound completely sick. We're he didn't somewhere. sound completely sick. I'm telling you, one week at a time, Squidward Revival. We're getting there. Also, you guys, don't forget about our email. GoreReportPod at gmail.com. Yeah. yeah. You ain't got to, but you can send us an email. And on that note, uh, we're going to go get the fuck off here so I can, uh, I'm just going to take all the soap and throw it in the trash. Throw it in the trash. Thanks so much for requesting the case, LA. We love you guys. Bye. Bye.